Blog Talk Radio. Welcome all truth seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen L. Heasley from the Spiritual Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania in the United States. Our truth seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to afterlife communication to parapsychology to spiritualism to near-death experiences, meditation, and a number of other truth seeking topics. We are happy you have chosen to join us for this episode and hope you find it informative and enjoyable. After our chat tonight, we will be taking calls. Here is our number to call in on. 657-383-0416. So I'm going to repeat that again. 657-383-0416. And believe it or not, we actually have a chat room open tonight. Mark Shaw is our guest tonight. He is a formal legal analyst for CNN and USA Today. He is a California attorney and investigative reporter who has dedicated the past 10 years to probing the truth about the JFK and Lee Harvey Oswald assassinations through his three books, Melvin Belli, King of the Courtroom, and The Poison Patriarch, How the Betrayal of Joseph P. Kennedy Caused the Assassination of JFK. His latest book, The Now of Justice, is written in the spirit of the best-selling true crime murder mystery, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, tells the inside story of why Kilgallen was such a threat leading up to her unsolved murder in 1965. Shaw includes facts that have never before been published, including eyewitness accounts of the underbelly of Kilgallen's private life, revealing statements by family members convinced she was murdered, and shocking new information about Jack Ruby's part in the JFK assassination that only Kilgallen knew about, causing her to be marked for danger. And now we're going to talk to Mark. Afternoon. Thank you for having me on the Hi, program. Mark. How are you? Thank you. you. Uh, I'm Good. terrific. Thanks. Thanks again. So this is the second time you've been on our show, and you just write many, many fascinating books to get to the truth and justice mm-hmm. for all it. So tell us a well, little bit how this book came about, this new book. Sure. And you can talk sure. about your first book, too. Well, thanks. And, and you just mentioned, you know, the spiritual angle of this, and we probably should let people know. I I don't really believe that this is my book. This is Dorothy's book, just as the reporter who knew too much was her book. Um, people have heard me say, and, you know, some people will obviously wonder whether I you know, I have all my marbles or not, but I do, and I believe that uh, Dorothy, um, from the hereafter, actually chose me uh, to be her voice. Uh, it had been uh, silenced for 50-some years, and she died in 1965. But while writing a book, um, the um, one you mentioned, uh, a biography of Melvin Belli, who uh, your older listeners will remember as one of the f- most famous attorneys of the 20th century, uh, 
He practiced law in San Francisco, not far from where I am, and uh, I knew him in the 1980s, practiced law in his building a little bit. But Belli was a bigger-than-life personal injury lawyer uh, and uh, somehow or another became uh, the defense lawyer for Jack Ruby when Ruby was arrested and charged with uh, assassinating Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, That should have been a clue to everybody, uh, wondering why a personal injury lawyer would be chosen as Belli's as uh, Ruby's lawyer since they needed a Mm -hmm. criminal defense lawyer, but nobody did. And um, when I started uh, working on that biography in about 2005, um, I started learning about Belli's affiliation and uh, obsession with the mafia, Um, his main client being a guy named Mickey Cohen, who was a Los Angeles uh, gangster, a very dangerous man. And uh, Belli just loved the mafia. I had one quote from a colleague, Belli loved the mafia, and the mafia loved him. He spent a lot of time in Las Vegas and all of that. And so uh, I was uh, interviewing uh, a colleague of Belli's who lived in San Diego, a doctor, and I, uh, we were talking about Belli and, and uh, Ruby's case, and he couldn't figure out uh, a lot of things about Belli's representation and all of that. And then he said, you know, um, he knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, wait a minute, Uh, he was on What's My Line, and for your listeners that don't know, Dorothy, uh, in the 1960s, 50s and 60s, there was a hugely um, successful television show on CBS every Sunday night at 10.30, live show, What's My Line. And uh, there were uh, three uh, main panelists, Dorothy Kilgallen, Arlene Francis, and Bennett Cerf, and then uh, John Daly was a host, and they had a a guest um, celebrity, a panelist as well, and they guessed people's uh, occupations. Uh, I'm pleased to say that since uh, the reporter who knew too much became a bestseller, and with denial of justice, people have gone to the Internet and watched a lot of those old shows uh, because they're up on YouTube, and you can watch Dorothy in action and all that. But anyway, uh, I said, well, he must have been Belli on What's My Line. He said, Mark, you don't know anything about her. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, first of all, yeah, she had What's My Line, and she was the celebrity, most famous celebrity there. But she also had a newspaper column for the New York Journal of America syndicated to 200 newspapers across the country. She had a radio show uh, with her husband, listened to by a million people a day. And she was probably the most famous investigative reporter of her time. She covered the big trials. She covered the uh, Dr. Sam Shepard case that became uh, the uh, foundation for the the fugitive with uh, Harrison Ford. She was at the... um, uh, Lindbergh baby kidnapping case, Lenny Bruce First Amendment case. She covered all of those as a journalist. And, you know, um, it's interesting because um, she also was at the Jack Ruby trial. And uh, I said, is that right? He said, yeah. And, you know, when Dorothy died, Belli said to me, they've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after Jack Ruby. They've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after Jack Ruby. And as you said, um, I went ahead and wrote a second book uh, called The Poison Patriarch about Joe Kennedy, but I could never get that quote about Dorothy out of my mind. I worked on it a little bit in The Poison Patriarch. And then after that book was published, I decided I really need to investigate how Dorothy was involved in the JFK assassination. That's fascinating. And. Well, I'm a curious person like you are, you know, and you yes. you're interested in the truth and all of that, and so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a giant leap for me to decide to to look into Dorothy's death. No, and we're we're really glad that you did look into her death. I mean, because let's face it, there was just so many inconsistencies. You want to just uh, go over some things mm-hmm. uh, sure. about some of the inconsistencies? 
Well, you have to you have to do this if if people would. Um, I don't care if they buy the books or not. They can certainly get them at the library as well. But an mm-hmm. awful lot of information about Dorothy is on the Internet, as it should be. Uh, MarkShawBooks.com, uh, there's a lot about Dorothy up there. That's my website with all my books up there and everything else. And there's especially uh, some excerpts up there that we'll talk about later that I hope people will look at. There's okay. also um, the ReporterWhoKnewTooMuch.com. And you'll see a lot about Dorothy there. But the real gold mine is the DorothyKilgallenStory.org, the DorothyKilgallenStory.org. And the reason why is because it's all about Dorothy. Uh, it's photographs uh, of her. Uh, uh, so many of them uh, come to mind as I'm thinking about it. I mean, you've got Dorothy with all the celebrities, with Ernest Hemingway and Marilyn Monroe and mm-hmm. George Harrison and and you just go down the line because she was a bigger-than-life type of a celebrity at the time. Uh, there's one of I love that she's at the Jack Ru- at the uh, Dr. Sam Shepard case, and she's standing in the courtroom, and all the other reporters are around her, admiring her, respecting her, all of that, because she was a real um, reporter of integrity. Uh, how many people have said we wish we had a reporter like Dorothy today? So she was a media icon, for sure. You'll see that one. Then you'll see quotes about her from famous people. Ernest Hemingway said she was the greatest female writer in the world. The New York Post called her the most powerful female voice in America. So you see all those quotes. But then you see all of those uh, the uh, there are videotaped interviews with her two hairdressers, with uh, right. some of her best friends, with her husband on uh, Edward Armo's uh, Person to Person. So it's all mm-hmm. about Dorothy, and that's where you can you can learn about her. But uh, we should let people know, they probably are wondering, well, why did a, a woman who was, yes, interested in trials and all of that, who was a celebrity on What's My Line, get interested in the JFK assassination? Well, here's why. And it was personal uh, because, uh, Karen, she she knew JFK. They had been to um, social events together. She saw him in some of the uh, taverns and restaurants in New York City. He had been over to her home when he was a senator to play charades of all things. He looked at her autograph. Uh, shoe collection she had. Uh, that's that's what's in the in the in the new book. The reporter who knew mm-hmm. too much. I'm it very is. proud of. But in denial of justice, there's so much more about Dorothy's personal life and a lot more mm-hmm. images in there. Her her grandparents in Ireland. Uh, you know all all these uh, these special photos about people about Dorothy that I think people would uh, enjoy. But anyway, uh, the big event that uh, brought her together, uh, linked her together, connected with the JFK assassination. She took her young son Carrie, and there's a wonderful photograph of Dorothy with her youngest son in the book. And they went to the White House, and Pierre Salinger, people remember, was the press secretary, and he right. set up a meeting with Dorothy and her son and JFK. Came into the library, and he made a big fuss over Carrie. He gave him a PT-109 pin for his lapel. He praised him uh, for his um, letters he brought from his third-grade class, opening the one that that Carrie had written. I mean, he just really took time to um, gloat over Dorothy's son. And all the mothers out there, and fathers as well, but mothers especially, uh, for the President of the United States to, uh, you know, to, to show that kind of interest in a young boy, uh, just put her on cloud nine, so to speak. And so when JFK died, uh, she was just destroyed. I mean, it just, you know, she just couldn't believe it because they had become such friends and what he did for Carrie. And so that made her suspicious. She wondered what had happened. She started to investigate a little bit, but then two days later when Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald, who was alleged to have shot JFK, she knew something was wrong, and that's when she launched this 18-month investigation into the JFK assassination. 
and the, and the subtitle "Denial of Justice," by the way, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, "Abuse of Power," and the most credible JFK assassination investigation in history. I didn't put that on there in jest. It is true. Uh, there is nobody, including me and all the other people that have written about the JFK assassination, who can come close to Dorothy's credibility with regard to this, because she was there. We're going to show she was at the Jack Ruby trial. She was there at the time, uh, an eyewitness to history, and uh, that's why we need to pay attention to this investigation that she had. Yeah, and you talk about this. What was it? Eighteen months of the investigation she did, mm-hmm. and she and she kept. Um, I was reading in a book how she kept everything in a file, and she carried this file around with her. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting. There's some a photo of Dorothy with uh, her papers next to her chest there at the Jack Ruby trial. We have her there. We have, uh, you know, photographs of her with uh, Belli, uh, with uh, her, Belli's co-counsel. Uh, we have her in Daly Plaza. We, we know that she was there for that uh, trial. And um, you have to remember, a lot of people have said, well, wait a minute, uh, wouldn't she have just typed this all in a computer? Well, this is 1964. There were no mm-hmm. computers. So they've asked, why didn't right. she make copies of this file? Well, you couldn't walk down the street to Kinko and make files, uh, make copies. Uh, all you had was the carbon from the typewriter. And so, uh, yes, yeah, she started in and, and she interviewed, uh, you know, she had the best sources in the world, and so she start interviewing people with the Dallas Police Department, and then she would interview some FBI agents. And she just, little by little, she started to put this all together in terms of what she felt, and and she just was so suspicious of the fact uh, at the same time when J. Edgar Hoover was shouting this crazy Oswald alone theory that he mm-hmm. right. shouted forever, she didn't believe it. She wrote a column just six or seven days after JFK died saying, uh, called the um, Oswald file must not close. And she was the only reporter who was swimming upstream, who wasn't buying all the baloney that uh, Hoover was throwing out. And so she started to get herself in danger by making enemies of Hoover and those people she thought who were involved in the JFK assassination. And she sat there in the front row and she watched this this testimony. And um, we might as well get into that. For a long time, I couldn't figure out exactly what Dorothy knew. Uh, as we got closer to her death about a year later. Uh, but I knew that she had interviewed Jack Ruby twice, and the only reporter to do that, and she wrote about that. We knew that she had got inside information from the Dallas Police Department that the first thing that they did was not send officers to that uh, book depository building, but to the overpass, believing, mm-hmm. of course, that there was more than one uh, shooter. Um, she had um, uncovered information about the mafia involvement in Dallas and how it, uh, you know, was involved uh, with with um, underworld figures there and how Ruby was associated. But the big, the big break that she got then was when she was at the Jack Ruby trial. Now, um, as I said, I'm very benevolent to uh, readers of the book and people who have listened to programs like yours because I heard from them all over the world: Australia, Iceland. Germany, South America, everywhere, and -hmm. people would give me tips. And uh, let's see, it's last summer when uh, a man, an attorney down in Fresno, California, called me, and he said, I I picked up your book at Barnes & Noble at 5 o'clock, and I was done with it by the time I went to bed, and I have a gift for you. And I said, what's that? He said, I have located the Jack Ruby trial transcripts. And I said, is that right? He said, yes. He was 
you know, I, I was in a library and I was looking around and I, nobody's able to find them. And so I found them and um, I'm going to give them to you so you can take a look at them because they are the, the greatest primary source of information about what happened in Dallas in 1963 when JFK was killed, because this is the testimony sworn, uh, you know, witnesses sworn under oath to, to tell the truth. And so uh, he got them to me. Um, there's actually a photograph on my website uh, of, of me with 2,000 pages of the trial transcripts, about a foot and a half tall. And it took me about two weeks to go through them. And I came up with about 25 uh, excerpts that I believe. Uh, are, are so important to the historical aspects of what happened to JFK. They're embedded into the pages of the book, as you know, but also I have posted it up the, them up on markshawbooks.com so the world can take a look at them. Whether they buy the books or not, they can see. And they're so important because if your listeners will, will listen closely, I'm going to give you two or three of the um, of the uh, of the pieces of evidence that I think will shock you as they did when they when when I read them, we have okay. to remember that Ruby said he just happened to be uh, you know he's down at the Western Union office and then he went over to the uh, Dallas Police Department basement. He just happened to be there when Oswald was being transferred. He just happened to be in the basement then, and then he shot Oswald. Well, a lot of people for a long time believe that happened that it just all was coincidence, even though it you know Dorothy didn't. And if you use any common sense, it doesn't make any sense. Well, if you go into the into the um, uh, Ruby trial transcripts. The first one that just will, I think, just uh, shock you is this. There is testimony in there that Jack Ruby actually watched the assassination of JFK. I'm going to say it again. Jack Ruby actually watched the assassination of JFK as it happened in Daly Plaza. And how do we know that? Because there were two witnesses uh, who, who came to trial and testified under oath. Both of them worked for the Dallas Morning News, and they testified that uh, at the uh, almost the exact time that JFK was being uh, assassinated in Daly Plaza, Jack Ruby was in the Dallas Morning News offices on an upper floor looking out a window that faced Daly Plaza, and they have him there at 1225 to 1240, and I believe the the correct time, I believe I have this right, was 1235 that JFK was killed. And he's looking out the window, and he's watching the assassination. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that obviously, first of all, he was involved in the assassination uh, and knew about the assassination of JFK. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there. And second, that there's no question there was a plot to kill the president because there was more than one person involved. I don't like the C word, the conspiracy word. I, I hate that word because it lumps everything together. There was a plot to kill the president. So that's the first thing that jumps out at you, and it should make everybody stop and think, which is what I want to do in my books, just like you want to do on your radio show. And then the other uh, ones that will drive you crazy is on, in Chapter 15 um, of the book, there are two witnesses, uh, uh, one witness especially, that uh, you should pay attention to. His name was Hallmark. He was the general manager of, a, of an auto parking um, facility across from Jack Ruby's Carousel Club there in downtown Dallas. And this man testifies that Ruby came over just before, um, you know, he, he came over to the, the parking lot where there was a pay phone uh, because he didn't want to call apparently from his uh, Carousel Club. So he asked to use the phone, and this guy, Mr. Hallmark, sits there 
and he sa- and he listens as Bella as um, Ruby is on the telephone, and Ruby first is starts talking about that he is um, wondering about when the transfer of Oswald will be from the police department uh, to another jail. And uh, the first thing that he talks about is that uh, uh, it was on the Saturday before he shot uh, Oswald on Sunday, around mm-hmm. 2.50 in the afternoon. And what did he say with regard to being a reporter, if anything? He said he'd been making like a reporter. Making like a reporter, right. yes. And that that's when book. he basically, obviously, was stalking Oswald. And then he, he goes ahead and apparently um, uh, he, the, the testimony is, uh, the question is, now did Ruby say anything with reference to whether or not, concerning whether or not he would be there or not when Oswald was transferred? What did he say on that? He told whoever he was talking to the answer is that he would be there. He would be there? Yes. That he was making like a reporter, that the police friends of his in the department helped him get in there. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it just completely destroys any possibility of an Oswald alone theory. And this is why I'm hoping that this primary source evidence, that people will really take it into account. I should tell you, too, there's one other place that you can, you can find this. I was fortunate to be invited to speak at the Commonwealth Club of San Francisco, a very prestigious club uh, that I've spoken at a couple times, and that was on December 4th. And you can go to YouTube and put in Mark Shaw Commonwealth Club, and you'll be able to listen to me talk about denial of justice, but especially about the Ruby trial transcripts. And and then you can make up your own mind as to what was going on there. But as I as I, I may have mentioned um, to you when we were off the air, uh, more than 4,000 people now in about a little less than a month or a little more than a month have mm-hmm. watched that video, and that should open a lot of people's eyes. And what it does, though, more than anything, this is what Dorothy knew. She knew about all this. She knew there was a plot to kill the president, and that kept her going. That kept this investigation going for 18 months. And then I did read in a book, and quote me if I'm wrong, but didn't wasn't there a meeting at the Jack Ruby's Carousel Club with Tippett and somebody else mm-hmm. and him? Yeah, these are the ones that are a little difficult. I, I try to be, uh, I don't try to speculate in my books. I like primary source witnesses yeah. of people who mm-hmm. can actually say something happened instead of, you know, I was told that somebody said something to somebody. The meeting in the, in the uh, Jack Ruby's um, uh, carousel club uh, with those people um, is, is um, confirmed several times. And I was able to find a primary source witness who could, who actually knew Jack Ruby, uh, mm-hmm. who can kind of describe him as this uh, with this gangster look, like in The Godfather and all of that, because that's kind of how Ruby was. Uh, but he talks about that, and other people have talked about it before. And so it's just another piece of the puzzle in terms of the fact that the police officer that Lee Harvey Oswald was alleged to have killed, uh, Tippett, uh, somehow or another may have been involved in this assassination. I don't mm-hmm. think we will ever know. Um, okay. You know, Dorothy was on the right track with everything, but I don't think we'll ever know how many people could have been involved in this uh, in the assassination attempt. We'll talk a little bit about what Dorothy came up with, but there could have been other people too. But but you're right, and that's uh, that's good uh, reading on your part because that's another piece of the puzzle. That's for sure. I found that very interesting. To, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth, and mm-hmm. then, um, and I don't want to jump ahead if you want to keep something, but then um, about when Jack testified 
with the Warren Commission. He said something, right. if the public would only know what was really going on, something like mm-hmm. that in a book. Yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting with Jack Ruby and the Warren Commission. Now, of course, Dorothy was never called to the Warren Commission uh, because, again, she was going against the grain. Uh, 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 Edgar Hoover was brainwashing the American mm-hmm. public about the uh, uh, Oswald alone theory. He brainwashed the jury. I've proven that in the new book. That's some more new information that's in there. Uh, Ruby never got a fair trial, that's for sure. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, you know, Ruby... Uh, and, and the Warren Commission, uh, they had him testify. And uh, Dorothy, again, uh, being on the job, she was trusted enough uh, that uh, someone with the Warren Commission leaked to her Jack Ruby's testimony uh, before the Warren Commission, before it was supposed to be released. He right. got, She got it before the President of the United States got it. Yeah. And, um, you know, she posted that and printed it in the newspaper, and, and uh, J. Edgar Hoover was uh, outraged, and there's some... A uh, memo from him to the, uh, and letter from him to the, to the uh, uh, Warren Commission, and uh, just uh, you know he's just flabbergasted that this would happen, and Dorothy wouldn't give up her sources as to who gave it to her. I'd rather die than give uh, my sources. So all of that's in there, and she printed all of that, and so she knew about uh, what he had said. But then shortly after, thereafter, when you know he was convicted, and and I think it may have, may have been in, even before the Warren Commission report came out. You're right. Um, he stood up, he was interviewed, and he said, uh, the world will really never know the truth. And yeah, basically uh, then went on to say there are people who will never let the truth come out um, and all of that. But it wasn't the, the, the statement you know, was listened to but not paid too much attention to, and people may wonder why. Well, this is where Melvin Belli comes into play. Mm-hmm. No, he wasn't a uh, criminal defense lawyer, but he knew a lot about medicine. And he came up with this ludicrous uh, right. psychomotor epilepsy insanity defense to use oh. with Jack Ruby. He wouldn't let him testify at trial, uh, Ruby. And uh, so what it made, what happened is it made Ruby look crazy. And so anything that he said then, an awful lot of people didn't pay much attention to. And so this comment about the world will never know the truth and all of that just went by the wayside. So um, a lot of people weren't listening back then. Um, they weren't listening to Dorothy. They weren't listening to Jack Ruby. They they were all just mesmerized by this Oswald alone theory. And I am right. so sorry and sad to say that has been going on for 50-some years. And it still is there today because Dorothy has disregarded. The primary source evidence of the at the Ruby trial is um, is disregarded. I think it's the most important JFK assassination uh, exposure of documents in history. But a lot of people still, um, whether they will really read the material in, in, the, in the transcripts or not, I don't know because so many of them still just think, hey, it must have been Oswald and that's an easy way to go and so they really don't want to look into this much. Well, Jay Hooper kept uh, telling the uh, public it was it's just Oswald. Remember? Because I remember when I was young and, and reading about it and remembering it and that's what what was going on in the news? Well, it was, and 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 people may wonder, um, you know, uh, why. Well, the reason reason why is because uh, if you're J. Edgar Hoover, you want to protect yourself. If it's if it's just a nut like Lee Harvey Oswald, then the FBI could have never stopped it. But if it's a plot to kill the president, and there are other people involved in all of that, then the FBI can be pre- be responsible. 
So he was a smart guy, and right away, uh, even some of the new documents that were released last year by the government point to the fact that he said right after JFK died, we must show the American people that Lee Harvey Oswald uh, assassinated JFK, and it was only Lee Harvey Oswald. So everybody else bought that story, including the, uh, in, including the, the, the public. Everybody bought it except one person, Dorothy Kilgallen. Dorothy, and she won. And then people um, speculated about um, Robert Kennedy was going after the mob, mm-hmm. and then people wondered why he wasn't mm-hmm. uh, assassinated. You want to go in a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, you know, people may say, uh, listen to your program, hey, who cares about this? It's 50-some years ago. Dorothy died at 65. JFK died in 63. Ruby died shortly thereafter. Bobby Kennedy died in 68. You know, who cares mm-hmm. about this anymore? Well, it's history, and there's been so much distortion of history. Young people deserve better, and we can do our part to educate them about the real facts in the case so they can make up their mind. My viewpoint on this whole JFK assassination is, frankly, different than anybody who ever looked at it. Why is that? Because I'm a former criminal defense lawyer. I was a public defender and then a criminal defense lawyer privately, uh, mostly all murder cases. I always look at motive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started looking at why um, Bobby Kennedy wasn't killed instead of why JFK was. Now, that switches everything. Why? Bobby Kennedy wasn't killed in, instead of why JFK was. Well, where did, where did I get that idea? In The Poison Patriarch and with the Bell Eye Book too, I look back to the 1960 election. And what happened then was that Joe Kennedy, who was a smart man, wanted, to, wanted his sons to be president. Uh, he wanted to be president but couldn't, and so his sons would be president with all his power and money. Uh, he knew they were going to lose the 1960 election um, uh, Bob uh, JFK was to Richard Nixon if they didn't win the states of uh, Illinois and West Virginia. So Joe was smart. He uh, had some underworld uh, connections through Frank Sinatra, and Sinatra went to Sam Giancana, the uh, famous, infamous uh, Chicago gangster, Carlos Marcello, who we can talk about, Santo okay. Traficante, some of these other guys, mm-hmm. and said, we need help winning those states. And they said, okay, and he said, and Joe said, well, if you help us, then when we get in the White House, we'll leave you guys alone. Well, you don't mess around with the mafia. And what happened is, and I had an eyewitness right there the night, that Joe Kennedy forced JFK to appoint Bobby Kennedy Attorney General. And when Bobby Kennedy became Attorney General, the double cross took place because he went after those gangsters. And you can't fool around with those guys. I can tell you about a personal experience on my end with regard to it. You can't mess around with those guys and double cross them. And so as as 19 and, and one of them was Carlos Marcello. So as you get to November of 1965 and Dorothy has all this information about the JFK assassination, she's writing a book for Random House and everything about it. Um she realizes that what happened is that uh Marcello realized that uh, since Bobby was persecuting him, trying to deport him, throw him in prison and all of this, uh he had to take action and what he realized is if you kill Bobby Kennedy, Jack Kennedy will come after you with everything the government has. But if you kill Jack Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy will be powerless as attorney general, and that's exactly what happened. He never mm-hmm. bothered those guys again. And I had figured that out based on motive, and that's what Dorothy had figured out as well. And so Dorothy actually made a couple trips down to New Orleans. 
That's where Carlos um, Marcello was. Carlos, you want to talk a little bit about you? Yeah, said and, about I've got, and I've got and new information uh, from the reporter who knew too much into denial of justice because I found an eyewitness who knew him that gives an inside look at how lethal he could be and how dangerous he was. But he was the kingpin mafia guy in New Orleans, which mm-hmm. then connected into Dallas. Dallas. And uh, Dorothy was smart enough to realize that when she learned what she did about Ruby, uh, she also learned that the very first jail visitor, now just imagine this, why nobody picked this up, but the very first jail visitor to Jack Ruby was a guy named Joe Savillo, who was operating and, and ruling Dallas for the mafia, and he was an underling to Carlos Marcelo. So Marcelo had his tentacles dug into Dallas, and whatever Ruby told Dorothy during their two interviews, she headed for New Orleans. Now, she didn't head for Washington, D.C. to look into the CIA or the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the government uh, that way. She didn't look into uh, LBJ being the person who may have been behind the JFK assassin. She went to New Orleans where Marcello ruled. And uh, as I said, there are these interviews uh, that are up on the DorothyKilgallenStory.org, and one of the most chilling is her hairdresser, uh, Mark Sinclair, her best friend, I would say, at the time. And uh, she invites him to go to New Orleans with her so she can fix her hair and makeup and things like that. And they get there, and then uh, he goes out to lunch, and he gets a call from Dorothy, and Dorothy says, you go back to New York, New York City, don't tell anybody you were here, and don't ask any questions. And at that's about the same time he told her that his life, her life had been threatened, her family, her life and her family had been threatened, and she had bought a gun. So she knew she was in danger at that particular point. And it's not a, a far-fetched to believe that somehow or another she knew that Marcello, who was ruling New Orleans, was in some way surveilling her while she was in New Orleans, and that's why she got to, uh, Sinclair to go back to New York City, and then. She had planned a second trip, as you know, said she was going to crack the case wide open, mm-hmm. told her other hairdresser, Charles Simpson, if the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination would cost me my life, and she was dead shortly thereafter. Yeah, I, I remember that, yes. <clears throat> and then I saw in the denial of justice that you had interviews with her her butler's daughter, correct? Yeah, and you know the I should say that the uh, both books, the Reporter Who Knew Too Much and Denial of Justice, are two crime murder mysteries. You got a lot of suspects mm-hmm. that you can look at and mm-hmm. make up your own mind. But I wrote Denial of Justice. It's very un, it's very unusual when an author usually writes a biography of a, of a subject, and that's it. It's very right. seldom that they write a second biography. Well, I wrote the second one for people who read the first one and people who did not, and I want to make sure people know that. Uh, the second book is is independent from the first one. It, there's some facts that are in there, the autopsy report and some other things that we didn't change, but otherwise there's brand new material, and that's again because of of some of these eyewitnesses to history that I knew. Uh, Dorothy, uh, in in uh, you know at one particular point went to a party, and she uh, she saw this uh, guy handling kind of like a butler, and the woman uh, his wife was doing the cooking and um, James Clement and his wife, and uh, she was just mesmerized with them and how well they were doing, and so she stole them away from the people they were working for, and they came to her uh, mansion, townhouse, on 68th Street in New York City and lived uh, in the first on the first floor. Well, uh, they, they both passed away, but I was able to find James Clement's daughter, uh, Brenda DeJordan, who was in New York City. I went to New York City. I interviewed her for four or five hours, and it was fascinating. I mean, she could talk about 
the private life of Dorothy Kilgallen. She could talk about, um, you know, her habits and what kind of a person she was and what's my line and the parties that they had, you know, with uh, the celebrities there. There's some great stories in there. Jane Mansfield was there and right. got apparently a little drunk and started to take off her clothes and um, mm-hmm. Brenda's father had to put them back on. Uh, there's a good some good stories about Sammy Davis Jr. You've got uh, all of these famous people there, but more than that, uh, Brenda was able to talk about the fact that yes, Dorothy they knew Dorothy was involved with the JFK assassination investigation. Uh, her father and also Mark Sinclair warned her about being in danger uh, because she was doing that. Uh, quit talk, you know, quit working on investigating Ruby. Leave this alone. She wouldn't listen. Um, they also talk about. Um, uh, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, she wasn't sharing any of her secrets about the JFK assassination with, except for one person that we'll talk about in a little bit. And most important, uh, Brenda was able to tell me this fact. Now, we, we need to set up what happened with Dorothy. And okay. again, you can go to the DorothyKilgallenStory.org, the DorothyKilgallenStory.org, and you can see the interviews with um, Joe Tonahill, who was the co-counsel for Ruby, uh, a contestant on What's My Line, uh, the night that uh, the night that Dorothy died, uh, after after the show, uh, uh, Mark Sinclair is up there. Charles Simpson is up there, but Mark Sinclair very chillingly tells us that on the uh, early, during about nine o'clock on November eighth, nineteen sixty-five, in the morning, he went over to um, uh, fix her hair and makeup uh, for. Uh, I'm sorry. On the evening of November 7th, before the show, he fixed her hair, makeup, put some flowers in her hair, false eyelashes, got all that ready, and she went then to the show. There's some material in the book that's a little uh, worrisome about what he says in terms of what she finally wore to the show. But anyway, she was on the show. Uh, Then we know that she went to a uh, a tavern on uh, 3rd Avenue called... um, P.J. Clark's. P. J. I've been Clark, there myself. Yeah. I sat right next to the table where she sat on the last night of her life, and then she went to the high, uh, the uh, Regency Hotel, which is a few blocks away from her apartment. She met what we at the time called a mystery man, but we now know who that is, and we could talk about that. And then okay. she ended up back at home on the morning of November eighth at nine o'clock. Uh, Sinclair goes over to get her ready to go to a. Uh, um, an inter- interview situation she had at uh, Little Carrie's school. Uh, he goes into the third floor uh, room where she normally dresses. There's a bathroom there. There's an adjacent bedroom. Uh, he doesn't see her anywhere. She's not there. It's about nine o'clock. He wanders around a little bit, and then he goes into the bedroom. And you'll you'll be chilled when you hear this, but he basically says uh, that was a bedroom she never slept in, and we show mm-hmm. why in the book. Uh, a bed she never slept in when she did. She has on her false eyelashes, makeup, and hairpiece. She's wearing clothes she never wore to bed. There's a book upside down on her lap that she'd already read. Her reading glasses aren't there. I mean, there's all of these um, unusual things about uh, what happened. And Sinclair describes that, and then he leaves, and uh, we know that later on the police came. Well, here's what Barbara DeJordan did for us. She filled in the blanks. She testified that, or she testified, she told me, and I believe her, that her father was the one who actually found Dorothy Kilgallen first in that bathroom on that third floor. Third floor. And she was mm-hmm. on the floor, and he was just petrified uh, because they were like father and son, or father and daughter. And he went and he told Richard Calmer, who was Dorothy's uh, husband, 
And then he went away, and the next thing we know is that uh, Dorothy was found by Sinclair in the bedroom. But what then, uh, then we know that the police came at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But what Brenda fills in is the fact that um, uh, in between the time that Mark Sinclair found the body at 9 o'clock and Detective Doyle and the medical examiner come in three, FBI agents swarmed the apartment and uh, took out Dorothy's documents, papers, everything they could find, including, we believe, her JFK assassination file. And um, that goes back again to motive as to who had the greatest motive to have killed uh, Dorothy because we believe and we've showed through uh, forensic evidence that uh, her drink, uh, vodka and tonic, either at the Regency Hotel before she got home or at home, was spiked with barbiturates. Mm -hmm. uh, the medical examiner said she died with one barbiturate in her, in her system, so it was an accidental death with alcohol. I was able to prove through looking at the autopsy and testimony and everything through um, toxicologists that there were actually three uh, barbiturates in her system, which uh, in, in many ways uh, show that uh, suicide wasn't possible. That made no sense. She was at the top of her career at the time. Uh, it wasn't an accidental death, but it was murder. And so then you look at the, at the people who had the greatest motive to have killed her, and you have to go back to J. Edgar Hoover, and you have to go back to Marcello. And uh, uh, that's, that's what I believe happened, that uh, Dorothy was, in fact, the, the reporter who knew too much. They couldn't mm -hmm. let her write that tell-all book for Random House, and so they had to silence her. And was there any question that the, 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 that there actually was the FBI or, or the police that came in? Remember, was there some type of question they weren't sure if that's who it was that came in and took all the files from? Well, there's day? always been a, a mystery about that. And, um, uh, you know, through, through research for both of the books, uh, mm -hmm. I've been able to, to, to you know, uh, substantiate the fact that there was a file. Uh, at one point, we thought her husband Richard may have taken it, but we've been able to disqualify that happening. So I believe that government agents—they uh, had been to the home before when they questioned Dorothy, and somehow or another, they had to get a hold of that file. And I believe they confiscated it. Uh, now, as you know, um, in in nineteen in two thousand and seventeen, I was able to get the New York District Attorney's Office, uh, against all odds, fifty years since Dorothy died, uh, to say they would investigate her death. And uh, right. I was uh, so happy that that was going to happen. Uh, I spent eight months working with the chief investigator for the uh, for the DA. I gave him all of my evidence that I had, uh, including uh, you know admissions by this mystery man Ron Pataki that we'll talk about, who was Dorothy's okay. last lover and who was the person mm -hmm. that she shared her JFK assassination information with. I gave him the autopsy report. I gave him the testimony from all of these witnesses. Last year, I even gave him the testimony from Barbara DeJordan and others who knew Ron Pataki and all of this. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, after eight months, uh, either because it was too expensive, um, it, it, it got too bothersome for them, or whatever, and what I, they, they decided to um, uh, stop the investigation. And it, it was a shock to me uh, when I learned that, and what I have to believe and what I alleged in the uh, new book, the Denial of Justice book, is in fact that they found Dorothy's file. And uh, we have to then wonder why in the world they would hide it. Well, that's easy to figure out. Government will never want to expose government corruption. It doesn't happen. It didn't happen in 65. It's not happening today. If there's government corruption and the government can cover it up, they will do so. Well, in that file, I believe, it shows the, um, that J. Edgar Hoover obviously covered up 
uh, for the government, the JFK assassination, the truth about the JFK assassination. Well, the DA's in a position as government, and they're not about to let uh, let that file um, be exposed. And so uh, I can tell you something that I haven't uh, really uh, reported to anybody else uh, on the air like this because I have such respect for you and, and want to give you this uh, news. With all of the new evidence that I have in denial of justice, I wrote to Cyrus Vance Jr. Uh, about 10 days ago and requested again a grand jury investigation into Dorothy's death. Uh, I also filed a Freedom of Information uh, request asking for all the documents and witness statements and everything else that way. And um, I pleaded with him uh, because this Ron Pataki, who was the main suspect in Dorothy's death, who I believe was connected to either Marcello or Hoover, is still alive today. He's 81 years old. He lives in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, He knows that I have pinpointed him as the main suspect in Dorothy's death, and he needs to be investigated Uh, and as soon as possible, because there's no question that he had culpability in Dorothy's death. Um, He even admitted, as I put in denial of justice, that he was the last person to see her alive. Well, he was the last person to see her alive. Then obviously he was involved, and there's a couple poems that you know about that he wrote about that are no question about Dorothy, which he, in, in one of them, he actually describes the way that Dorothy, we believe, was poisoned with the barbiturates. Well, only the killer could know that. And so uh, I'm hoping this time uh, that I get the action that I want, and if I don't, uh, I'll take this into the courts and see if I can't get some action there. Now, um, who was the mystery man? Because remember, well, that's, we that's Ron Pataki, and, and here's that's how we figured it out. Okay, here's how we figured it out. Well, you know, um, you know, you have to be careful because you don't want to wrongfully accuse somebody. I'm going to take some right. water here. Just you a don't. And uh, as a criminal defense lawyer before, um, you know, it always hurt me when and bothered me when people were wrongfully accused. Because what happens is that many times there's a headline in a newspaper, you know, um, Mark Shaw accused of uh, of uh, robbing the First National Bank. And, and so that's in there. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, they figure out it wasn't me, and that's on page 11. Well, people are always going to believe that I was the bank robber. So you have to be very careful. And I... In The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, the first book, uh, I really went after Ron Pataki in that book, and I've done that in Denial of Justice as well. And uh, I've come up with new facts about him, uh, his past, his violence, um, you know, but a lot of statements to family members of his, relatives of his, about Dorothy, about her sharing her JFK assassination investigation. I mean, she really trusted him. Mm-hmm. And um, we believe he leaked that information to the wrong people. She was suspicious of him, of him having done this. But he, you know, she had had a couple love affairs in her life because her marriage went sour. And um, he was the second one and the one who she was closest to uh, just before she died. And so we believe that he kept giving her information. He kept um, uh, this uh, Pataki kept uh, you know leaking it to the wrong people. Uh, and all of that. And and what's interesting there is that when I met with the chief investigator for the DA's office in 2017 at um, the DA's office in New York City, we started talking about how excited he was to investigate Dorothy's case. And the first thing that came out of his mind, out of his uh, mouth was, you know, uh, I wonder if Ron Pataki sold Dorothy's information about the JFK assassination to the wrong people. So he was suspicious as I was. And so there's no question that that I believe there was enough evidence to be able to accuse Pataki of being involved somehow or another 
uh, in uh, in Dorothy's death. And I think the telling blow there is this, and people have asked me that this. Look, you went after him in the books. You've accused him basically of murder. Why hasn't he ever sued you? Why hasn't he ever taken you to court? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he would never want to be in a courtroom. Uh, if he was, and he should be, he would be asked all these questions about all the inconsistencies in his statement and everything else. But he's not going to let that happen. He's just going to. Ho- he's still hoping that this will just go away, and he'll never, um, you know, be held responsible for being involved in Dorothy's death. I remember that because we talked about him when I had you on the last show, and you said there were going to there was going to be more to be told, and, and you did. You told us that tonight about yeah. that. And yeah. he always denied that um, that their friendship was just platonic, but she bought him things. She bought him a Thunderbird, right? A car. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I think she yeah, paid and, for uh, an apartment. You know, she, that's right. She she didn't trust many people, as you know. The two hairdressers, she didn't right. trust Richard anymore because he was running her husband. He was running around with her. He, she didn't trust uh, people at What's My Line that much. That was a business situation. Her colleagues at the newspaper, there was one we know of uh, that's quoted in the book, uh, and it's kind of a scary thing that he uh, he says that uh, when Dorothy died, you know, they've killed Dorothy, and when when the uh, uh, you know, and and people may wonder, and this is in there, uh, as you know, uh, why didn't uh, her her parents come forward? Why didn't her colleagues at What's My Line come forward? Why didn't her colleagues at the newspaper, all these people, why didn't anybody come forward and stand up for Dorothy and say, hey, you know, she wasn't an alcoholic, she didn't have drug problems, uh, this is not something that would have happened accidentally to Dorothy. Well, it took me a long time to, to, to understand it, and maybe this will help your audience understand it. Um, they all knew that she was involved in investigating the JFK assassination, and if the same people who killed JFK killed Dorothy, they weren't about to come forward. And so that's why they didn't. In fact, what's interesting is both of the hairdressers lived through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. They were asked many times to talk about Dorothy, and neither one of them ever did until the late 90s and right at the first of the year 2000. They were still scared after all that time, even though most everybody involved in Dorothy's uh, case are, is dead, they were still worried that somebody would come forward and cause them harm. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But that's the case, and that's why nobody stood up for Dorothy. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, she was just lost. I mean, she kind of disappeared, you know, from view, and nobody ever was able to, uh, you know, parade her accomplishments uh, before people and investigate her death until basically she told me to do so. It's something because she was an advocate for people investigating their, mm-hmm. like uh, Sam Shepard, right? I mean, she just mm-hmm. went, she was, um, she helped, she was an advocate for people who, a strong advocate, and it's it's wonderful that you're doing this for her. Well, that's, you know, that's what I do with my books, and, and uh you know, if anybody ever deserved it, it, it it's, it's Dorothy. Uh, you know, it's just I, I'm so I'm so proud to be even connected to her because she is exactly uh, the role model uh, for for women that we need. As I say, you know, she overcame. She's a college dropout. This woman was a college dropout who fought her way up through the newspaper to become the most famous reporter in the in the world, perhaps. Mm-hmm. and uh, overcame all of these obstacles that she didn't let get in her way 
Uh, she wasn't scared of men. Uh, you know, she thought she could do the same job they could or probably do it better. And so she just, uh, you know, she just kept trying. She never gave up. Uh, and, and she then just, I mean, it's interesting. One of the, 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 the um, pictures that people really enjoy in the new book, and this, again, for your older audience, who don't, the younger audience that doesn't know, Betty Davis was a legendary actress at the time and still famous today in many ways with her films she made and everything. Well, there's a photograph of Dorothy in 1935, okay, or 36, one or the other. She's sitting across the table for lunch with Betty Davis at Warner Brothers talking about um, they made, they're going to make a film out of one door, uh, out of Dorothy's book and some other things. They're talking, okay? Well, you have to realize Dorothy was uh, born in 1912. What does that mm-hmm. mean? She's 23 or 24 years old. Right. She dropped out of co- of college at 18. This is just a few years after she drops out of college. She's having lunch at Warner Brothers in Hollywood with one of the most famous actresses of all time. <laughs> It's amazing. And Joan Crawford and her were friends, too, I noticed. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, people don't understand how big she was. Please, I ask them, go watch. You can see her last program on What's My Line, but you're going to see some with some of the legendary people that you may be familiar with, Groucho Marx and Jimmy Durante Mm -hmm. and James Stewart and John Wayne and and all of these actresses, Marilyn Monroe, all these actresses and actors you're going to see are on that show. And Dorothy is the is the best. She's like a prosecutor trying to figure out who they are and and all of that. It's it's great fun and it's and it is her legacy. Although in this interview that we have up on the DorothyKilgallenStory.org uh, with Editor Murrow, they ask her, as you know, what her favorite occupation was, and she obviously says. Uh, uh, that it was being a newspaper woman, which always brings a little bit of a yes. of a shiver to me because that's what they stopped her from doing. They silenced her. They silenced her typewriter, and they wouldn't let her speak anymore. And it's just it's just a sin. I mean, JFK died at an early age. Dorothy Kilgallen died when she was 52 years old. 52 mm-hmm. years old. Just think what she could have accomplished um, in bringing the truth to people about the JFK assassination, but also. Uh, so much more that she could have done if she hadn't been killed. It's amazing. Her father was a um, prominent newspaper man as well, right? Her father. Well, you know, I like I like to say to people, I like to say to people, you know, uh, all you have to do when you're when you're thinking about uh, how kids grow up is look at their parents. Uh, yes. You know, in this day and age, and unfortunately, and I believe, you know, I know it's it, it's necessary at times, but we have. Uh, two people in the household working, and and the mother's not at home, or the doctor, uh, the uh, the husband's not at home, and they don't spend the time with the with the child. Uh, it drives me crazy when I see a family out now with uh, at a table with uh, the mother and father and the two kids, and their and the, and the mother and father are on their cell phone or their smartphone. I mean, mm-hmm. the, parents need to spend time with their children, and they need they to do. be role models for them. Kids, you know, I've I've been a parent myself, and and kids soak up everything that that mm-hmm. parents do what they say for dorothy fortunately she had a real role model james kilgallen was as revered as a reporter as dorothy ended up being and he got her the break he got her a an internship at the new york journal american where she get her start he was always there and and i will never forget this quote that's in the first part of the book uh when dorothy was asked what her father told her when she became a newspaper woman there was only one thing he said always tell the truth 
-hmm. And that's why we need more reporters like Dorothy Kilgallen. Dorothy did not um, decide on a conclusion and then make her facts fit the conclusion. She did it the other way around, the right way. You come up with the facts, and then you may draw a conclusion, or you let people uh, make up their own mind as to what they think. That's what we need today, instead of all this political slant. and everything. We don't know who to trust these days. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, you know, so many young journalists have said, boy, I want to be a reporter like Dorothy Kilgallen. Well, God bless them, and I hope that they can. And, 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 and Dorothy's spirit will be within them if they do, because she would be pushing that for sure, just as she's pushed me to tell her story. And you have. So um, is there anything else that you want to bring out in a book that we didn't talk about? Well, you know, uh, every book for me is like, you know, kind of one of my children uh, that way. And and this one is is, uh, very, very special. Um, I guess the other thing that I would, would ask is that I think... You know, the book, the book, uh, Reporter Who Knew Too Much, becoming a bestseller and, and the movie thing and everything was due to several reasons. And I think you'll find the same reasons that will, you know, an author's dream is that you touch the emotion of the reader. I always like to say a book is like a conversation with the reader, but you're not there. So you have to tell them your story, show them your story, and they can then make up their own mind. And, um, you know, it's 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 very important uh, for us to be able to do that. So I would I would say to people, you know, with, with Dorothy's story, go in there. It's a true crime murder mystery. It has to do with the JFK assassination, and then it has to do with Dorothy's remarkable story. I think that's what has, um, uh, you know, touched the emotions of people, especially those who are very disturbed about no investigation of Dorothy's death in 1965, and then the DA's failure to conduct a thorough investigation in in 2017 and maybe perhaps 2018 and now, which is very sad. It's an obstruction of justice, basically, is Mm -hmm. what it is. So, um, you know, I think that's what I would ask people to look at with regard to the book and then make up their own mind. And uh, my my email is easy to find. It's mshawin at yahoo, m-s-h-a-w-i-n at yahoo. You can go to my website and get that. And I think at last count we've gotten more than 1,000 emails about the two books. I got a bunch of them today again about the new book. And I will tell you, I answer every single one of them. Because I believe if people want to take enough time to go into the MarkShawBooks.com website or the other sites and get the email address, if they take enough time to do that, um, I will answer it. And I got a kick out of one guy today because he he was asking me some questions about some things, and I was starting to answer. And then down down at the bottom, he said, I can't believe I'm emailing with the real author of a book. <laughs> um, but, he, but I will do it. And I know a lot of authors don't, but I believe that, uh, especially if people have purchased the book, I mean, the hard-earned money for it, books are too expensive. That's why I suggest they go to the, the libraries or whatever. But um, if they're gonna if they're going to put down their hard-earned money, then I'll be, uh, I'm going to for sure get back to them in, in an email. Well, you know, you did that for me. I uh, how we how I met you was through email, mm-hmm. but really I was watching What's My Line. I kept watching all mm-hmm. these What's My Line shows with her, and it just Dorothy, Dorothy. Remember, I told you, and then I said, you know, I'm going to email him and see if he wants to be on the show because mm-hmm. I thought she was fascinating. I watched the show. I'm, I was young when I watched it. Now we're now I'm dating myself, but um, and then I thought it was just tragic. Of of mm-hmm. her death, it was tragic. Mm-hmm. Yes, 
Yeah, I think that's the that's the tragedy, and and you know we have to, we really have to try to find the truth, and it's as true today as it was back in, uh, in uh, you know 1965. We have to really watch ourselves and and go ahead and and uh, you know ask questions. You know, don't don't take for for as facts and the truth what is uh, you know what is something that we should uh, we should go ahead and really uh, you know. Uh, ask about and 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 check and and all of that. Uh, ask questions. Don't don't take uh, don't take other people's words for it. Do your own investigation. Check into the facts and and separate their those out and and make up your own mind as to what you believe. That's good. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show again, Mark. And, and, well, thank and you, you so much. I appreciate it. You really are a, a true seeker in your own right. You really are. And keep up the well, good work and yeah. the good fight. Well. I will, and, and, and uh, same to people. you. I have such respect for you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. And now I would like to thank all the true seekers around the world for listening. And until we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see.